Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Corks Talks, where I talk about anything and everything of interest to me, whether that be political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental, cultural, you name it, I'll speak about it. Today is a review episode. I guess I'm going to combine two um, different events I attended, just because they have the same theme. And the same theme is classical music. Um, I had the absolute fortune of attending a, I would say, lecture at um, the British Academy called the Heterogeneous Sound Ideal. And um, it was hosted by the one and only George Lewis. And if you know anything about George Lewis, I mean, just Google him. Very decorated um, classical musician, lecturer, um, award-winning composer, uh, every kind of rank you can get in terms of the academic side of music, he is there front and centre. And um, I was drawn to this event mainly because of um, the idea of music heritage being pre- very very mixed and sometimes unclear um, in particularly Black history, just because, you know, sounds are genred by people who aren't from our community sometimes and that means that some things don't get claimed or some things are claimed more than others and I guess investing in the classical music idea I wanted to learn more about the heritage um, and it was really fun in terms of I saw a very diverse group of people heard a lot and um, that I couldn't even tell you um, word for word or recount it's because there was so much going on but I met um, Chichi Nwanoku who is like one of the absolute leading faces of um, black musicians uh, she's the founder I believe of Chinake Orchestra just actually uh, telling me all about it and um, I just was just listening to her it was one of those events where you are the student and they are the lecturers. So you've got George Lewis himself, and you've got Chichi Nomanoku just talking about, you know, these diverse subsets of music for um, black musicians that's so different to the traditional route that we see in, I guess, hip hop and R&B and, and even like with faces in pop and electro, you often don't see many um, black people be able to claim those genres for yeah it's just quite clearly the very simple racism of people deciding that we are not um capable if we are capable we are definitely not pioneers in these industries but thinking about you know the likes of your michael jackson's um leading in in rock and pop you know they call him the king of pop but then of course his own um, quote-unquote racial ambiguity as he got older kind of lent to um, this deracialization of uh, black music which is inherently um, in most popular genres in 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 the US in the western world in general but um, I think the beauty of um George Lewis's event in particular was the recognition of sound and music across the Western world beyond 
the states beyond Britain. Like there was a lot of mention of countries like Germany, etc., which we don't really hear. But I guess in terms of continental, um, I guess in terms of continental European heritage, a lot of what we see in terms of progression of black people in music is centered on USA and Britain. I think there's a huge push for black music in France. So it's definitely not just this Anglophone focus. It's, 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 it's bridging gaps, and I think even with classical music, um, whether it's pianist, when we talk about black musical tradition, um, the sounds that are common to our own heritage versus what we've imported from the Western sound ideals, um, there's of course differences, but naturally with a diasporic black population in the West, we've adopted some of those ideals. And I think this focus on heterogeneity or if, if that's the noun for it, um, was really interesting because the heterogeneous sound ideal is what they call a common approach to music making in which a range of dramatically contrasting qualities of sound, particularly timber, is sought in both vocal and instrumental sound. The desired sound is a combination of desired sound timbers, so sound texture and a wide range of timbers in a single line. Um, and I've noticed that if ever you listen to music, there's this focus on harmony and I'm obsessed with it. Like I really love it. I love when boys to men go up and they go down and there's, there's a space between their voices that I enjoy, but I'm wondering now, like, is that a colonized sense of, um, enjoyment? Um, mainly because from what George Lewis was expressing, this sound ideal is not necessarily, um, inherent in the black community. It's something that's more so been adopted by the West, um, and then he played some amazing expert ex- excerpts of like these brilliant black classical muse- uh, musicians, particularly of Nigerian Igbo heritage, Igbo heritage, who were playing these like really complex. I can only describe it as funky because that's the word that comes to my mind, but it's definitely not funky. It just really was were these comprehensive um, sound logs that like nothing I'd ever heard before and knowing that 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 would be unpopular to the masses because it's not what we're attuned to listen to and definitely not what we're into attuned to enjoy and um it kind of reminded me of a film I watched a few weeks ago called Felicite and um it was a film about um, a Congolese woman whose son gets into an accident and all the things she does to help him but she was a performer she was a singer and um when she spoke about um, sorry, when she sung on stage, she sung in a way that I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like nothing I've heard before in terms of, you know, she could be singing in the same notes as somebody else, but the way she sang it, like the sound ideal was different. It was not what you hear in the West, which is when someone is, you know, humming or um, trying to create contrast in their voice um, or... Um, sometimes moaning on a beat it was more so screaming shouting like there was a lot of um volume at some points and you know again we're all different in what we enjoy it was different for me but it was still enjoyable and I realized oh my god like I've been taught that women in particular we sing softly we sing quietly we sing quite sexually it's moaning whereas in this ideal um for this 
francophone African woman, there was a lot of yelling, there was a lot of screaming, there was a lot of shouting, but there were also moments where she was groaning and it sounded what a lot of people would say is like, you know, your rock music, your angry male music, your often angry white male music. So although this particular event was solely about classical music, um, it very much borrowed from multiple um sound histories that I had to like now question in my head like why do I enjoy this why do I enjoy that and then obviously getting onto the actual instrumentation is a whole nother story um in our day and age particularly because production has changed so much with the onset of platforms like you know SoundCloud and other um um electronic production applications people can essentially make music very much without picking up uh, a single wind or string instrument or key instrument like you just don't need it and I remember reading a piece from Quincy Jones right it's like a really well-known piece to anyone who is interested in music journalism but he kind of just tore apart the industry and was like nothing you're hearing is new none of these guys are great he was like um telling all the secrets that you know, most people just don't know because it's like no one had ever bothered to interview him about, like, his own musical heritage or perhaps they did and he declined, you know. PR and marketing and, and these kind of things are different for certain celebrities. Some are very vocal, particularly the older black generation. Sometimes they're not really keen to speak. So I really, really, really enjoyed hearing his view on, like, music. But I'm always wondering, like, in terms of establishing new sounds, if possible, just even from, like, that physics um, module that we all study at um, school and whether that's GCSE or A-level, and knowing that, like, you know, human beings are only receptive to a certain type of sound frequency, right? Audible um, music has its own set of wavelengths that humans at some point can't hear anymore it was too distressing to hear and so it made me wonder like how do we create new sounds if ever or are we constantly compiling are we constantly sampling are we constantly referring to like the same instruments can we make new ones when we are creating things right from scratch um we look at materials and ingredients. And when I think of music, I'm like, how do we get like a rare instrument that no one has ever heard before and put it on a track? Like, is that possible? And um, this event forced me to really confront that. Um, Because it's one thing to change the face of the person playing the instrument, who again, probably has a different sound ideal depending on the heritage they've grown up with, to play um, a certain type of music but in terms of the actual sound they produce, can that be different? Can that change? And I think I was pretty moved when I went to um, see Sheku Kenna Mason, who, again, was, like, founded by the... Founded? I don't say founded. I guess he was discovered by the Chineke Orchestra. Um, and um, actually, Chichi was speaking about how um, the Kenna Mason family... Um, being like the face of the black musical prodigy in the UK um, has definitely lent to her organisation's visibility. And she said this not in, not like on stage with George Lewis's lecture. She said this like privately to me and another woman um, during the networking session. And um, 
everyone knows Sheku has done like brilliantly. He's made an album. He performed at Prince and um, Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding. Um, he's very decorated now. He's got so many awards. He, he's he's like in terms of um, notoriety, he is like absolutely fine. Um, but I saw him at the South Bank Center about two weeks ago. He did like a um, a short interim of music um for free to the to the masses but he's also um i think on tour with the philharmonic cello so he's a cellist he plays the cello and i thought back to my like childhood and i was like when i used to play the violin like why did i stop or whatever and i remember like it because it just hurt my neck after a while and there was this weird idea that like hobbies don't go beyond your 13th 14th birthday like you don't really take that to secondary school unless you're planning to become a prodigy and I was just doing it to like get out of whatever lesson I was doing I was decent at it like I remember when my neck was hurting my um teacher like got a rubber band and a sponge and I got to put it on my neck to like support me but it just made me think to myself like these things that we thought were hobbies and just things that you throw away could actually become like the center of your life um you could become a prodigy if you put your money time energy into it and um the Kenna Mason family is an example I've seen the documentary of them on the BBC and the effort that they've put into making sure their kids are phenomenal is can be seen very clearly um of course classical music is one of those things that arbitrarily most people just don't consider like something for black people um it's not a part of our community to a lot of people um we just don't do it um but then I think you know when I saw Alicia Keys back in the day behind the piano or Stevie Wonder I'd never I never questioned their belonging there I guess the sounds that they were producing because again people didn't consider them you know like your buck or your Tchaikovsky or whomever else it was just ah oh, these black guys or Ray Charles like these black guys and girls can play music really well behind the piano like even Nina Simone but again even the whole focus on Nina Simone not being a classical musician mainly being a jazz musician because of her race is very particular you know it's like so so who gets to be the musical classical prodigy um so um George Lewis uh, led a fantastic uh, conversation about um basically the absence of music by Afro-diasporic contemporary composers in Europe. Um, he, like I said, is very decorated himself. So he was talking about ethnomusicology, which is something I've dabbled in like very, very sparsely. Um, there's a particular man called, I think, J.N. Enketia. I'll double check that. Um, I might got, got his initial wrongs. J H and Ketia, who's like a well known. No, I'm right. J N. No, it's J H. J H and Ketia, who um was one of the, like the world's um most respected authorities on African music. Um, and he very much understands the heritage of music, so I definitely need to read that. But that um George Lewis recommended as well. I think it's really key to know what we listen to, why we enjoy it. Is it something that we will take forward or just have a lesson learned about, you know, sounds that we enjoy. 
Um, I think events like these should be. I mean, it was a it was, events like these should be like super advertised everywhere. Like it should never be a question as to um, is this necessary because music links up most people's lives. Like the, the better bread and butter is what people are listening to whilst they're in the shower on the road on the journey to work um at work like um, and no one ever questions you know what do you enjoy why do you like it um and the sound combinations and timbers in african and african-american and afro-diasporic musical traditions have their own components because of the legacy of a colonialism b assimilation c westernization all of that and no one ever has thought to subtract that back to its root and wondered you know why do um perhaps people's parents enjoy a certain genre whilst we enjoy a different genre and our children and descendants will enjoy a different genre do you know what i mean um so i'll definitely be reading more into that um i'll definitely be questioning what is not an unusual sound like for example, uh, Moses Sumney, he's um an artist, and I don't even want to put him in a. I was gonna say you know he's a this type of artist or that, but I can't even put him in a genre. He's just an artist, and his music really compels me because he speaks um but sings in a way that someone else might be like, if it it sounds like a performance, like I don't need to see what he's singing it sounds so weird um but you have to just listen to his his music to understand it like his music isn't to be enjoyed which sounds really weird he's telling you a story and he's done it in a very effective way that goes beyond the traditional music of i like the beat i like the lyrics like that's not how moses some approaches his music and he's also gone in America which was again quite unique to me whereas you know uh, um, a, a British Ghanaian like Quabs I like his lyrics I like the way he performs it um, and I have a mixed relationship with his beats so it's all about like breaking up the song and the artistry and saying you know what production do they use how do they approach lyricism um, and are there any like other components that I'm not seeing? Why do I like this? Why don't I like this? You know? And so Moses Sumney would definitely be considered quite unusual. Like he creates scapes with his music. Like I see his music. And when I say I see, I mean I really do visualize his music in like exhibitions when they're trying to create a certain vibe. And that is not the that is not the case for a lot of musicians who are just trying to make bangers for the club. Or, or moments for the soul when you're sitting in bed or when you're moping about this or that. Like, you know what I mean? People kind of have moments to make music for. But Moses operates in a way more larger scope than that. And he's dabbled in fashion and, and I think acting as well and modelling. So I'm not worried about him and his artistry. Like he's he's far beyond any genre. But again, it, that kind of just links to the whole like modulation of music. Like what are your components? What are you trying to create? And distinguishing that is key. Definitely want to read more into that. Um, yeah, so 
I went to see Sheku Kenna Mason and the Philharmonic Orchestra at South Bank about two weeks ago. It was on a Sunday. I had brunch with a friend and we went there and I really, really enjoyed it. Like, again, it's these sounds I'm like, okay, perhaps I'm not used to this. But I find that even, like, the most legendary um, sounds I've heard in, like, Disney films came from, like, hundreds of years ago from, like, these top European uh, classical musicians that I did not know were creating, like, these legendary sounds. And I couldn't even name to you, or this was Bach, or this was Chevalsky. Like, I didn't have the identifying name as to why that sound was so universal. But I know that that scene represents trepidation. I know that that scene represents melancholy. I know that that scene represents whatever emotion there is available to me. Because of the way it's interacted with, particularly the film industry. Um, but also in the catalogues of music on like Spotify, when I do click classical music for study, a certain genre of music is played, you know? And like, I don't know these guys by name, but someone else could be like, oh, yep, I heard that in a Disney film one time. Or like, maybe people just don't have the money for it, you know? Um, but it'll be curious to know who's making further kind of music. It was definitely um, on my list of of things to do is to listen to Shekhar Kenna Mason's um, own album and, and hear comparing his work to the old work I've listened to of other classical musicians. Is he comp- um, composing original sounds? Is it a mix and match of previous? Like, I want to know because I think even the heritage of sampling is really, really key to black musical legacy but it's obviously complicated with all the licensing rights and the um the art economy has its own world and what we do um in terms of referring those referring to those who come from um the past musically but also just generally um you know when is it imitation when is it inspiration all that jazz but one thing i'm learning is that very little to nothing is original like, very little to nothing is original. So if we are just a compliment, compilation of what came before, then how can we make ourselves even more different and diverse? And if possible, can we create new sounds? You know, that's what I'm really interested in. So we'll see if that happens. But, yeah, I just wanted to jam-pack those two episodes into one because I've been, like, lacking on these uh podcasts I don't know why I was so tired today I was like oh I don't want to do it I don't want to do it but now I've done that for video accomplished so yeah thank you for listening to this episode and um, I'll make sure to get another one to you very very soon bye take care